Hello, and welcome to the City Grace Podcast. We're so happy you've decided to join us today as we learn how amazing it is to follow Jesus. Enjoy the message. Good to be here. Good to feel Jesus here this morning. Um, welcome to this lesson that we're doing, probably the last lesson that we're going to be doing for now in the series that we're, call, we're calling Do Not. Um, and just to give a little bit of background in case you missed the first few, um, Jesus, when he came and, and showed up on the planet, he came to bring something brand new. And what he came to bring that was brand new was this new covenant, this new what we might call a relationship or way to be in relationship with God. And he, he started this new movement based on it and based on what he claimed or who he claimed to be. And then after he made all of these claims about himself, I mean, he taught a lot of good things, and some people think he was just a good teacher. He did a lot of cool things, and some people think, well, he just did cool tricks, you know. But what Jesus, what made Jesus so special and what made people follow him was who he claimed to be. He claimed to be the Messiah, kind of the, the rescuer that God had promised all of creation, all of us broken creation and, and all of our pain and all of the hurt that we, we feel and cause each other. He, was, he had come to be the answer, be the solution, be the rescue for all of us. And, and that's who he claimed to be. And then he died. And when he died, his movement died. And from the time when he was crucified till that Sunday morning when he rose again, his movement was dead because his movement was based around the claims of who he said that he was. And it wasn't based on his good teachings. It wasn't based on his miracles. There were lots of good teachers before Jesus and after Jesus. There have been good teachers in the world. There were lots of people who had actually performed miracles, even during the time of Jesus. There are a couple of different episodes where he kind of references that. We look at miracles sometimes as proof of Jesus' divinity. That wasn't the proof of his divinity. And, and, and when he died, it undermined everything that he had claimed about himself. And so his movement died. And all of his followers went back home. And, and then... Then, on Sunday, that Sunday after he rose again, they came back. Because it's not all that often, in fact, it's only happened once, that somebody died, and then on the third day after that, you have brunch with them, or maybe not the third day, but a few days after that, you have brunch with them on the beach. And when Jesus rose again, and when they said that they had seen the risen Jesus, it, it no longer undermined what they had thought about him, but it actually punctuated. It put a big old exclamation point on what Jesus had taught and said and claimed about himself. And then we know he gathered his followers one last time. He told them, okay, I want you to go out into all the world, not just the Jewish world, but all the world, and I want you to make disciples of me, make followers of me, and I want you to baptize them. And then I want you to teach them to observe, or we might say teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And then he said, and I'm with you always. And then he left. And he left. And he sent back the Holy Spirit to, to fill up his believers. It was a new way of, of being in his presence. And, and, and after he left, you know, honestly, they didn't have a lot to go on. They didn't have a Bible. Nobody got up in those first few years after Jesus left and, and said, turn to Romans or turn to 1 Corinthians or Galatians. Or, those weren't written yet. Nobody said, turn to the book of John or Matthew or Mark. None of that was there. The earliest writings in what we call our New Testament didn't happen or weren't circulated really until maybe like 50 or so years after that. And they certainly weren't collected and put together in what we might call the Bible. All those early followers of Jesus, those early apostles and disciples of Jesus had, were the eyewitnesses accounts of everything that had happened. People that were actually uh, or had miracles performed on them or through them or with them. Um, his, their, their recollection of his sayings, the recollection of his sermons, and, and, and then these, these commands, these strange commands that Jesus had told them to go tell everybody to obey. And here's the thing, before the resurrection, the commands that Jesus gave, they don't even really make sense. 
And we looked at some of these, right? Like, do not worry. That's a command from Jesus. Do not worry. And of course, anybody ever had you say, don't worry about it? Anybody ever told you rather, don't worry about it? Somebody tells you, don't worry about it. What do you do? Yeah, you're still worried about it. You're horrible listeners. You're just not very good. And of course they worried. Their leader had died, and they were so worried about what that might mean that they started denying that he was their leader. His other command, do not judge. Even though they had just spent three years with Jesus seemingly judging every religious person they could find, do not sin. Well, come on, who's perfect, right? Can I hear a good amen from some sinners in the room? And then today's do not, right? And again, you know, you've got to understand the background and what makes this so unrealistic of Jesus to command us to do. Understand this. Imagine if we had never heard of a Bible. Imagine if you were a Gentile. Well, you are Gentiles, right? And I hear an amen from any Gentiles in the room. Gentile just means you're non-Jewish. So maybe you're Jewish, but maybe you're a Gentile, right? And you never heard of a Bible. You certainly don't have the Jewish Old Testament. You don't know any of the stories from the Jewish Bible, like Adam and who, right? Like Jonah and, and the what, you know? And you're like, yeah, I really am a Gentile because I don't know what he's talking about. And, and then you hear about Jesus and the cross. And then you hear about his love for you and his grace and his mercy and dying and the blood that was shed to cover our sins. And, and it's so stirring and it's so captivating. And then they tell you that he rose Again, to validate and to prove everything that he had claimed about himself. And, and there's something about it, and it just captures your heart, and it's what you've been looking for. And there are eyewitnesses there saying, we saw him. We saw him. And so it stirs you, and it moves you to become a follower of Jesus. And, and you believe, and you're baptized. And then you look at them, and you say, okay, I believed, and now I've been baptized. I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. Now what? And a pastor during those, those early days of the Jesus movement would have looked at you, and he would have said, well... Let's start here. Do not fear. Now what? Don't fear. Now what do I do? Don't be afraid. Like that, that's it? That's the command? That's a command of Jesus? Like I, I thought it was something different than that. Like I thought I needed to put a fish bumper sticker on my car, right? I, th- I thought I needed to get a, a WWJD bracelet, right? Like I, I thought that's what you'd ask me to do. But do not be afraid. How do we do that? Like, I'm afraid. And somebody says, well, stop being afraid. And we say, well, sure, thanks. I'm glad you said something because I'd still be afraid if you hadn't have told me, don't be afraid. But do not fear. Do not fear. Do not fear. Jesus gave as a command. And Matthew especially talks to us about this idea of fear and being not afraid as a command of Jesus. And Matthew was one of the 12 closest followers of Jesus. He was there uh, uh, and right at the end. And you talk about somebody who was afraid. Matthew was afraid. He was one of those guys in the garden with Jesus on the night that he was arrested. And when they came to arrest Jesus, Matthew ran away. He abandoned Jesus. He wasn't even willing to spend a night in the holding tank with Jesus. He just ghosted out of there. And Matthew tells us about a time when Jesus was talking about this do not fear, do not be afraid idea. And he gathers the 12 closest disciples around him and he's like, hey guys, we've, we've been together for a while and it, it, it's time to kind of take the training wheels off. So I'm going to send you out into the world in, in pairs and I'm going to have you do some work for my kingdom, for my movement. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 16, he says, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. And we're all furrowing our brow. We're like, yeah, yeah. What? Like, what does that mean? Like, what kind of zoo is this? Like, it doesn't even make sense. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. You're the sheep. 
And they're the wolves. And he's telling them, and when you read this in Matthew chapter 10, he starts telling them, like, some of y'all are going to be arrested. And they're like, what? Some of you guys are going to be beat up. Some of you guys are going to be brought before, you know, judges and, and, and put on trial, and you're going to have to sacrifice things for following me. And they kind of like start shifting their feet around. They're like, wait, wait, wait a minute. You didn't give us any of this when you asked us to follow you. And now all of a sudden you're telling us that we're going to get beat up and arrested. And I never even been put on detention, but now I'm going to get arrested. My mom's going to hear that I have a rap sheet. Like what is going on? And Jesus is like, no, 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 guys, 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 don't be afraid. Oh, well, that makes it better, right? Don't worry about it. Do not fear. And Jesus is like, yeah, you're going to get arrested and you're going to beat, get beaten up, but don't worry about it. And then he kind of continues his motivational speech before they run out the tunnel. And he says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. Like, <laughs> kill the body. Nobody told me there was any killing of bodies that were going to be happening when I started following you. Jesus said, well, don't worry about it. I just told you don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. I just said that. Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body. I'm always afraid of somebody being able to kill my body. Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. And he goes on, rather be afraid. Like, wait, 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 wait. You told me to don't be afraid. And now you're telling me to be afraid. To which Jesus would tell you, quit interrupting me and let me finish. But rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Wow. That's hard, right? There's the H word in church. This is where everybody starts getting nervous. Start worrying about lightning bolts, right? Like, give me some distance just in case one comes down, right? And, and we're worried about this. And rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And I, I think, you know, I, we kind of talk about these conversations and we make them a little bit funny and, and kind of talk about their confusion and, the, you know, their consternation and what Jesus is saying. But I think we miss some of this because we're on this side of the resurrection. We know what happens at the end of the story. They kill Jesus, but Jesus gets back up. And when he gets back up, it proves that he has power over life and death. We get that on this side. They didn't have that proof yet. They hadn't gone through that. They didn't see a resurrected or a risen Jesus. So at this point, Jesus was cool, but Jesus was confusing. And so they're scratching their heads like, you know, why wouldn't I be afraid of somebody that can kill me? And they're scratching their heads like some of us are right now, right? And Jesus knows when they're scratching their head and when we're scratching our head. And so he's like, well, let me explain it to you a little bit better in verse 29. Are not two sparrows, there he is talking about animals again, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care? Like, well, wait, that doesn't really help me with my fear, right? And he says, and even the very hairs of your head are all numbered, to which the bald disciples kind of rolled their eyes, right? Like, that's not giving me very much comfort or consolation. And he goes on, so don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. You're worth more than many sparrows. And they're like, well, Jesus, I still don't know if you know how motivational speeches work. Because you're using this example of sparrows, but you're, till, you're still telling us that the sparrows are going to fall to the ground and die. And Jesus is like, yeah, but your father really cares about them. 
Yeah, but Jesus, they still died. Yes, but your Father takes notice of each and every one, so don't be afraid. But then, Jesus, you go on and you talk about fearing, you know, presumably God, the one that can destroy both our bodies and our souls in hell. And Jesus is like, yes. And you're like, well, Jesus, so we, we should be afraid or we should not be afraid? And Jesus says, yes, both should not be afraid of the ones that can kill your body. You should be very afraid of the one that can kill both your body and destroy your soul too. But guys, don't be afraid because he cares about you a lot more than he cares about sparrows and birds. That kind of makes sense, right? So what we're going to do now is take an offering and have an altar call, and then I'll let y'all go home. Everybody got the lesson? Everybody good? Raise your hand. Nobody, nobody raised. Okay, I got to preach longer. This is on you guys. I tried. It's going to give you lunch early, but I guess I'll go. And this is so confusing at first glance, isn't it? It's just not very instructive. It, it, it makes me think too much. And in the moment, I don't want to think about it, right? It, don't be afraid, but be afraid of God, you know, because he can destroy both body and soul. But don't be afraid of God because he cares about you more than he cares about sparrows. And it's all confusing without some perspective. But I think something had happened. This is in Matthew chapter 10, just a couple of chapters before this. In Matthew chapter 8, that gave them a perspective that we would miss if we haven't read through the whole thing. And, and there's this episode that happens. Jesus had these huge, massive crowds that followed him everywhere. I mean, these crowds had like zero chill. They did not care how Jesus was feeling. They just wanted to follow Jesus. One time, his cousin John had just been beheaded. It's not this episode, but another time. Jesus' cousin John had just been beheaded. Jesus is weeping and grieving. And they come to him, and they're like, Jesus, you know, real sorry about your cousin, but we're hungry. Can you give us some free bread, right? I mean, just so inconsiderate. And so Jesus would get into boats. It was like a thing that he did all the time. He'd step into a boat and go out onto a lake, and that way he could get away from the crowd because nobody else could walk on water. And then he'd, you know, get out there. And in Matthew chapter 8, verse 23 tells us, then he got into the boat, this is one of those times, and his disciples followed him. Now, everybody get this. Everybody say, Jesus first, they follow. One more time. Jesus first, they follow, right? Everybody's in the boat, right? All 13 of them. They get out and they push out across the lake. And, and as they're heading across this Sea of Galilee, which it, it's still there, you can go visit the Sea of Galilee. It's in like this kind of valley and, and the valley acts almost like as a funnel for the wind. And it's known on the Sea of Galilee that winds can just like come out of nowhere and start whipping the, the sea into a frenzy. And, and turn, you know, there, there was, it was just known and it is known still for its sudden and its violent storms. And that's exactly exactly what happens this time when they all get into the boat together. Matthew, who wrote this, he was there. Matthew was in the boat with Jesus, and he remembers in verse 24, suddenly a furious storm came upon the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. Anybody ever been like in a car wreck before? Anybody, you can raise your hand. It's all right. Anybody ever been in a car? A few of us have been in a car. Anybody ever caused car? No, don't raise your hand for that one. <laughs> Anybody texted? Or, and no, we'll just we'll let you not have to admit your guilt here in church. But anybody ever been in an earthquake? Raise your hand. Right? Anybody ever been in a tornado? Raise your hand. Anybody ever started a fire? Anybody guilty of any major crime? We have. <laughs> but in that moment, when you're in that catastrophe and everything's happening around you, everything is out of your control, isn't it? 
And like things start happening like so quick, but they're still in slow motion and the car is spinning and like, you know, you start singing Jesus, take the wheel and it's still spinning and you just don't know. And then there's a sudden stop and all of this stuff is happening. And there they are, just suddenly a furious storm sweeps over them and the waves start rocking the boat and it seems like they're going to sink and the waves start crashing over the bow of the boat. Waves bigger than the boat crashing and washing everything that's not anchored down and, and, and secured to the deck right over the side. They're grabbing on to whatever they can hold on to and Matthew remembers, there we are, furious storm. It's nighttime. It's dark. We look around in all of the chaos and do you know what we realized and what we saw? And he tells us in verse 24, Jesus sleeping. Jesus is taking a nap, or at least it looked like it. Now look, you can call me sacrilegious. I've been called worse, but I think that Jesus was doing like one of the parent nap things. Any parents know what I'm talking about with that? Like you pretend like you're asleep. You got one eye, you keep kind of like popping it open. You got your ears open because you're listening to your kid. Like don't tell dad. Shh. Be quiet because they're trying to sneak the cookies out of the cupboard, right? They're trying to do that. You guys know exactly what I'm talking about, right? I think Jesus was doing the parent sleep thing. I think from where Matthew was, it only looked like he was sleeping. That's just what I think, you know, but I could be wrong. And if it comes down to it, you should probably believe Matthew more than me. And that's all right. But this is important. And here's why this is so important for me, for us to talk about this morning and to kind of go through this. Some of us in this room, we have struggled with our faith, We have struggled with being Christians. We have struggled with being followers of Jesus because we have had storms rise up in our lives. And when those storms came, it seemed very much to us that Jesus was asleep. Come on, somebody, and say amen in the room if you know what I'm talking about. You're in the middle of pain. Your life is a storm. It is is chaos all around you. You're worried about going over the side. You think you might drown. You felt like life and your trouble and your circumstance was going to drown you. And you prayed. You called out to Jesus and it just seemed like he was asleep. It didn't seem like your prayer had been heard at all. You didn't hear a voice from heaven. No angels came down. No spotlight shone on the right path forward for you to take. It felt like God was asleep. And so you clammed up. You shut down. You drifted away. You walked away. It just didn't seem like religion mattered anymore. It just didn't seem like prayer worked, at least not for you. At least not for some people that you know and you love. Hello. That could be your story, and I don't fault you for that. Those doubts and those fears and and that uncertainty and that confusion comes on all of us. Can I hear an amen? But here's why you need to hear this this morning. If that was you and you have walked away from your faith and following Jesus because a prayer wasn't answered or God didn't respond like you thought he should have responded, I'm telling you, you need to come back home. You need to come back home. You need to trust in him. If you've drifted because of fear, if you've drifted because of confusion or hurt or maybe anger at God, you need to come back home. And here's why. Because these men thought they were about to lose their life and they didn't just imagine that Jesus was asleep. Jesus was asleep. He was asleep. He was asleep. 
You're not the first person that this has happened to, but they realize something later that you will realize too if you will come back. And it has to do with this story on fear. It has to do with our attitude toward fear. It has to do with the way that Jesus feels about our storms and the circumstances in our lives. So you need to hear this this morning. The disciples went to Jesus and they woke him up saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. To which Jesus said so appropriately, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? They're like, Jesus, did you read verse 24? Like it's, it's a furious storm. It's big waves. We think we're going to drown, right? And when you feel like you're going to drown, you are so afraid. What do you mean, why are we so afraid? We already told you, look around you at the circumstances going on in my life. Jesus, why are you so afraid? And I can hear him sighing when he does. Come on, parents, you know exactly what this sounds like. (sighs) Exactly. Then he got up. And he rebuked the winds, he rebuked the small kids, he rebuked the waves, he rebuked the husband, he rebuked the, no, I'm just kidding, he would never, rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm, completely calm. And when that happened, the men were amazed, and they looked around at each other, and they started asking this question, what kind of of man is this? What kind of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? See, Mark, Mark tells about this episode too, and Mark probably got his story from Peter. Most people think Mark wasn't there with the closest 12, and, and Mark followed Peter around later on in life. Most people think that Mark took down dictation from Peter and wrote the gospel, what we call the gospel according to Mark. And Mark tells us what kind of amazed they were. They were scared amazed. Like, anybody ever go to the zoo and see the lion there behind the glass? It's just like amazing, right? And then that lion, anybody seen those videos of the lions or the tigers that stalk the people with their backs to the, the window? And then like they start to turn around those lions and those tigers just pounce on the glass like just, and the people are so scared. There's that thick glass in between. It doesn't matter, does it? Like you're scared, you're amazed, you're in awe of the power, but you are scared out of your mind. And Mark, when he writes this in the Greek, he actually takes the noun for fear and he copies it and he makes it into a verb and he says, they feared a great fear. The literal interpretation of Mark's account is they looked at Jesus after he had calmed the storm and they feared a great, great fear. Fear. They were in the same boat with the man who controlled a storm with his voice. And they may have been afraid of the storm before. They may have been afraid of the wind and the waves before. They may have been afraid of drowning before. But once everything was completely calm, they looked at Jesus and realized we're in the same boat as this. And what kind, what kind of man is this? And maybe. I think they started to realize in that moment, there are definitely things in this life that we should be afraid of, but maybe we've been afraid of the wrong things, the wrong things. 
This happens two chapters before what Jesus said about the sparrows, and maybe this had set them up for a deeper understanding of what Jesus would tell them later. Maybe this very episode gave them all the context they needed to not fear what he told them to not fear because of the greater fear that he told them they should have about the one who controlled everything that gave them fear. Don't fear the one who can kill your body, but not your soul. Don't fear the disease, Jesus would say. Don't fear the enemy, Jesus would say. Don't fear what it looks like is surrounding you, Jesus would say. Don't fear the opposition. Don't fear the abuser. Don't fear the abuse. Don't fear the economy. Don't fear the president. Don't fear your relationship. Don't fear the circumstances. Those things may be able to hurt you in this life, but the one you should really fear is the one that can hurt you in this life and the next. But don't fear that either because he loves you more, more, more. He loves you more than you care to remember. Instead, fear the one who can affect that forever part of you. But who cares? Who cares? Who attends the funerals of sparrows? Guys, don't be afraid because he cares about you more than he cares about many, many sparrows. Matthew would go on after this. After chapter 8, after chapter 10, Matthew would go on after in chapter 14 and tell us about another lesson. The same theme, same issue, same few chapters later, they fed 5,000 hungry people in the middle of a desert, in the middle of a desert. No taco trucks, no Amazon Prime delivery or Rayleigh's or Safeway home delivery, no DoorDash, nothing of that stuff. Just the disciples come to Jesus and they're like, Jesus, all the crowd, 5,000 people, they're hungry, Jesus. And Jesus says, well, you feed them. They said, we can't. And Jesus says, yes, you can. They're like, no, we can't. And they argue with Jesus for a bit. He says, tell me, bring me what you have. They find the food, and they bring it to Jesus, and Jesus takes it, and he breaks some in half, and he hands it to one disciple, and that disciple takes it, and he turns around, and he hands it to somebody, and he comes back, and Jesus has more food. Oh, okay. Well, he takes that, and he goes, and he hands it to somebody else, and he comes back, and Jesus has more food, yeah. He takes that and he goes and he gives it to somebody else, you know, and, and then he comes back and Jesus has, you guys are getting it. Jesus takes that and gives it to somebody else and comes back and Jesus has more food. He takes, no, I'm just kidding. We'll just go on. And they're, just, they're looking at it and they're just taking what Jesus has given to them and they're doing the part that they can do. All they have to do is take what Jesus gives them and turn it around and turn around and hand it to somebody else. And then come back to Jesus for whatever else it is that they need. And they're just like, they're looking at their hands. They're like, did we do this? Are we doing this? Like, this is so cool. I think if I had been there, I would have taken a dollar bill and like torn it into two. And just just saying, you got to think quick in the moment, man. Just take advantage. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, that all happens. And immediately, everybody say immediately. Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. Do you know why Jesus made the disciples get into the boat? Because they remember what happened last time they got into the boat. He made them get into the boat and go on ahead of him. Everybody say, disciples disciples first, know Jesus. Everybody say, disciples first, know Jesus. So he makes them get into the boat. And go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismisses the crowd. And think about this. He got into the boat first last time. And they followed him. This time, they should have gotten a clue. But they missed it. 
Jesus gets in, all into the boat, and he's like, well, I'll, I'll push you guys out. And he's pushing them out, you know, ankle deep and then knee deep. And he's waist deep in the water. And like, when's he going to climb in? And then Jesus just kind of pushes it off. He goes, hey, guys, I'll meet you over on the other side. I'm going to go dismiss the crowd or something, right? And maybe they think about it. Maybe they don't think about it. Same lake, same boat, same 12 guys minus Jesus, and they start rowing because Jesus told them to go to the other side of the lake. So they start rowing, but it's tough rowing. It turns out there's a little bit of a headwind going. They can't hoist the sails or, you know, say a vast there or anything like, you know, arr. Like, it's just they can't sail right now. No pirates yet. They're having to row. And so they start rowing to move the boat. And after he had dismissed them, dismissed the crowd, Jesus went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone. And it turns out while he's up this mountainside, he kind of turns and looks over the lake and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, but it was buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So these disciples are rowing, man, for all they're worth. They're rowing and they're just not really getting anywhere. This is the first ever mention of a rowing machine in history. And they're just getting swole in their back, just like working... Nobody else knows what that's all. Jacoby, you're here this morning. You should know about getting swole. Come on, man. Expecting an amen from Jacoby. Jacoby's the swole one right over here in case you're wondering. And they're just like, they're, they're rowing in place, and they're not really going anywhere, and they're soaking wet, and it's pitch black, and they're taking turns probably. And you want to guess how long they were rowing in place out there in the middle of the lake? Somebody asked Lionel Richie how long they were rowing in place. All night long. They are <laughs> Repent, Sonia. Should not be knowing that music. They are out there rowing all night long because shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. Here they are again. Same lake, same boat, big waves. What do they have? F-E-A-R. They are fearful. But these are grown men, you know, so their fears are completely rational when they see this, right? And it's a ghost, they said. Grown men, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. And we don't know what they cried out because probably there were no words to it, right? It's just that sound that you just make when you're really, really scared. And none of the men in here know what that sound is. But, but, when they're afraid and when they cry out because they see Jesus and they think it's a ghost. But immediately Jesus said to them, fail <laughs> Been talking to you guys about fear all this time. Don't you guys remember the last time we were out here? It was the big waves and the storm, and you're afraid of drowning. But I got up. I rebuked the wind. I rebuked the waves. Everything was fine after that. And you guys, I, I thought you had learned the lesson. I gave you the speech, you know, a couple chapters later on the sparrows, you know, when you're in the football tunnel getting ready to run out on the field. And fear the one, you know, don't worry about the ones that can touch your body, but, you know, fear the one who can and touch your soul. But don't forget, don't forget, don't forget, he loves you. Guys, 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 somebody stop Bartholomew from screaming. Guys, 
you're not learning the lesson about fear. That you should not be afraid. Now watch this. Even though there is something to be afraid of, you should not be afraid. See, how many of us, when we were little, like we scared of something under the bed or something in the closet, right? And dad would come in or mom would come in. And they'd say, you know, don't worry. There's nothing to be afraid of. Anybody ever had somebody say that to you? There's nothing to be afraid of. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's like, guys, I'm telling you, don't be afraid, even though there is something to be afraid of. Because there is someone who is greater than the thing that is scaring you now. And he loves you more than apparently you care to remember. Mm. Come on, can you give God thanks right now for his love? Come on, give him. Maybe you've never really stopped and thanked God for his power and his greatness. Can you do that right now? Come on, all over the room. God, thank you for your power. God, thank you for your greatness, your majesty. Mm, mm. The omnipotent God, all-powerful God who loves me than I care to remember sometimes. And immediately, Jesus said to, the him, said to them, guys, take courage. It's I. It's I. It's the one who stepped to the bow of the boat last time and calmed the wind and calmed your storm. And guys, don't you remember how much I love you? Don't you remember that I'm the one that put you in the boat and sent you here? Guys, take courage. It's I. And you don't have to fear, even though there is something for you to be afraid of. You do not have to fear, even though there is something for you to be afraid of. And just like Jesus had told them, even though they thought he was asleep or even though he was asleep, Jesus was telling them again, do not be afraid. Whether it looks like I'm asleep or whether it looks like I am absent, do not be afraid. When it looks like I'm not responding in the way that you think I should respond, and when it looks like I am nowhere close to you, do not be afraid. I am the one that put you into this circumstance. I am the one that led you here. I'm the one that told you to get in the thing that would bring you here. He knows the paths that he has planned for your life. He knows the ways of your life. He knows your background. He knows your future. He knows your yesterday. He knows your tomorrows. And what he wants to tell you this morning is do not be afraid even when there is some for you to be afraid of. And if we had to like distill Jesus' lesson on fear down to one saying, it would be this. If there's one thing that I want you to take home today, it's this right here, that you don't have to be afraid even when there's something to be afraid of. We're going to say this together. I want you to replace you with I. You guys ready for this? I don't have to be afraid. You guys ready? Three, two, one. I don't have to be afraid even when there's something to be afraid of. One more time, come on. I don't have to be afraid. Mm. It might look like you're surrounded, but Jesus, we're surrounded by you. We're surrounded by you. Come on, one more time. Can you give him praise and thanks this morning? Mm. See, this is what Jesus taught about fear. Do not be afraid. And Jesus says, no, you can be afraid, 
But be afraid of the right things. Don't be afraid of the things that are temporary. Don't be afraid of the things that only affect this life and this existence. But there's something greater. There's something greater. Oh, and by the way, it's your heavenly Father who loves you more than sparrows. And Jesus never said, I will take all of the things out of your life that make you afraid. Jesus never said, I'll take all of the things out of your life that make life painful. Jesus said, I'll never, never said, I'll take all of the things out of your life that will make you question, that will make you doubt, that will make you wonder. I will never take all of the things out of your life that will make you fear. But when you get into those moments and fear tries to overwhelm you, don't be afraid of that because you have a father who sees you and knows you and loves you and cares and hears and sees and he's there. Even when you can't see, even when you can't imagine that he would be. He didn't say there would never be anything to be afraid of. But even when you're afraid, even in your fear, even with your fear and even without the things that would make you less afraid, even when it feels like Jesus is asleep and even when it feels like Jesus is absent, you don't have to be afraid. Now, that would be one thing and great and we would have trouble kind of applying this to our life because we think that everybody that we read about in the Bible is like a superhero. They're all superheroes of faith. They're all superheroes of faith and we're just not, right? Any admission from anybody that's just not a superhero of faith in the room? Like, I'm just, I'm weak sometimes. I have trouble trusting God sometimes. It's easy on Sunday morning, right? Music's going, bass is pumping, right? Everybody's talking about it, singing about it. And then we get to Monday. We're scared all over again. We're doubting all over again. And here's what's encouraging about the disciples. I love this about the 12 disciples. They were slow learners. Can somebody say, thank you, Jesus? Thank you, Jesus. They were slower. Right up to the end, Jesus is arrested, and what do they do? They run. Why do they run? Because they're afraid. In the garden, after the garden, they lied. They denied. They ran inside. They all cried. They were mortified. The day he died, their hearts all sighed. They didn't even try. They were bona fide chickens. That's all I can think of to rhyme. Anybody got a word for chickens that rhymes with eyed? Kentucky fried. Just like you. Just like you. Just like you. Just like me slow learners sometimes. And God has been there before. And we know, come on, you know this. You know that God is God and he cannot fail. And so if God has been there before, what should you be telling yourself? He'll be there again. So do not fear. Do not fear. But they did not fear not. And we do not fear not. They did not do not fear more or fear more the one that can harm the soul and body in hell. In the end, they all ran away because they were so afraid. But then on that Sunday morning, they emerged from their homes so fearless. And they would later stroll out into the streets and be so bold. And what made the difference was not another boat ride. It wasn't another lecture. It wasn't another parable. What made the difference was their absolute conviction that we have seen our Savior die, but he has risen again. 
And once they saw a risen Jesus, all of their fear went away. Why? Because the ultimate enemy, the ultimate enemy, the one that can shut everything down, put a period, shut it all down, close the book, turn off the TV, close down the movie theater, whatever it is, just shut the whole story down. Death Death had finally been defeated and Jesus emerged on the other side and they knew from then on it doesn't matter what the circumstances look like. It doesn't matter how hopeless, how impossible it seems. The most dead thing in my life when Jesus rose from the grave, it proved that he can bring new life again. See, once they lost their fear of death, they finally, finally feared not. And this is something that we as 21st century Western Christians, we have to wrestle to the ground. These are the things that we have to decide whether or not we believe. Do you believe, really, do you believe that Jesus died, as he said, to provide or to offer his life as a covering for our sins and failures? Do you really believe that? And then secondly, do you really, really believe that on the third day after he was put to death, that Jesus rose from the dead as proof, as a punctuation, as an exclamation point on everything that he had said and claimed, and that his resurrection life is now available to fill us up to the full. Do you really believe those things? Do you really hope and trust in those things? Because once you get that settled in your mind, in your heart, then you can begin to not fear the circumstances around you. Then you can begin to not fear the storm. That's when you can finally begin to not fear the disease or the prognosis or whatever it is that the doctor tells you. That's when you no longer fear the economy or politics or the, the fracture within your family. All of the things that are around you that just, they, they seem like they're going to overwhelm you in this life. Once you are assured of your place with him, in the next life, all of our fear goes away because the only one, the only one that we should really be afraid of has proven beyond question that he loves us, that he cares for us, that he is never against us, and he is always for us. And if God be for us, who, tell me who can be against us? Who can be Against us, but we struggle with this. We struggle with this. And it sounds good now and it feels good now. But man, when we get to tomorrow, hello, we're going to fear again. But even tomorrow, when that fear tries to overwhelm and when it swells and threatens to crash over the boat of your life and circumstances just seem like they're not going to get fixed, like this thing is not going away. And I'm completely just without control. And we imagine ourselves to be completely without options. Once we have wrestled to the ground that he loves me and that he is greater than anything that would try and overwhelm me, all of our fear goes away. And what started out as a seemingly nonsensical command, do not fear, suddenly becomes an attitude and an orientation with which I face the rest of my days because I'm no longer afraid because Jesus, because Jesus told me, I don't have to be. And he's telling you this morning, you don't have to be afraid, even though there's something to be afraid of, even though there's something to be afraid of. My, uh, my brother is trying to convince me to go skydiving. He says, it's easy. 
said, jumping out of a plane is nothing to be afraid of. And I told him, jumping out the plane is not what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of a very sudden and violent landing. That's, that's what has me scared. And so the other morning, a couple Sundays ago, Stuart, I apologize if I botch any part of this story or your title before. You can correct me. You guys go to Stuart. He can tell you what really happened. I, I was talking to Stuart about this the other Sunday morning. I told him, hey, my, my brother wants me to go skydiving with him. And it turns out Stuart was, I believe, a shoot master, if I'm not Whatever. Yeah, Stuart will correct it later. He was a shoot master. Amazing. First guy ever to jump out of a plane. He actually orbited the earth twice before he came down. It's some, somebody shake hands with Stuart right after service. But he, turned, <laughs> he used to jump in the military all the time. He, he's jumped out. And even from super high altitudes, he's jumped and, and apparently made it okay. We're getting to know you, Stuart. You know, we're reserving judgment, but apparently made it okay. And you know what Stuart told me about skydiving? See, Jason told me there's nothing to be afraid of. You know what Stuart told me about skydiving? There's nothing to be afraid of. It's no big deal. See, here's the thing. I didn't believe my brother. I still don't believe my brother. But I trust what Stuart told me. You know why I trust what Stuart's told me about skydiving? Because he's been there. He's done that. He's been there. He's done that. You know why Stuart can tell me you don't have to be afraid? And don't worry about it, and it's no big deal. Because he's been there. He's done that. And when Jesus told his followers that they didn't have to be afraid and do not fear, they didn't get it at first. And when Jesus tells us to not be afraid and to do not fear, sometimes we forget it. We forget that Jesus has already walked on our waters. That Jesus has already mastered our storm. That Jesus has already seen and actually been in our tomorrows. That Jesus has already taken care of every yesterday. He's already drowned the voices of our past guilt in his cleansing blood. He's already been through whatever fire you're going to go through. He's already wept through whatever pain. And there's this verse in Hebrews that I think we forget about sometimes as struggling Christians. I love this first part of this verse. This high priest, oop, if I can go back, I apologize. It's not going to go back. Let me try it. Nope, it's not going to go back. Hebrews chapter 4 and 15, I'll just read it for you. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all of the same testings that we do. He faced all of the same testings that we do. And when we read that, do you know what it's telling us about Jesus and our troubles and our trials and all of the things that make us afraid? This is what it's telling us, that he's been there. He's done that. Whatever it is that seems like it's going to overwhelm you, whatever circumstance it is that seems like it's just going to drown you and, and kill you, he's already been there He's already handled it. He has already emerged out the other side victorious over disease and over fear and over death itself. And there is no calamity and there is no circumstance and there is no thing that we could ever go through or face that we should ever have to fear once we get our fears aligned in the proper perspective. Once we fear God first, fear God most, but then we remember that He is in love with me more than he loves anything else in this world. That he has seen me before I was born. The psalmist said he knit me together in my mother's womb. That he knows my name. That he knows your name. He knows your story. Every day of your life, he said, is already written in a book. He knows who you are. He knows where you'll be. He knows what it is that's trying to overwhelm you and rob you of your faith and your trust in him. And what he would want to tell you this morning is this one take-home thing right here, that you don't have to be afraid. 
Not because there's nothing to be afraid of, but even when there's something to be afraid of. For more information about City Grace, you can find us online at citygrace.church. We'll see you next week.